as you're being seated, if you would now open up your Bibles with me to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, as we continue our series of studies on the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And this evening, this is now our seventh study in this series. And tonight, we're looking at the gifts of the Spirit, part two. And so we're picking up in verse four of chapter 12, if you'd follow along with me. Now, there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it's the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another working of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. The Bible says that the Spirit of God has distributed gifts to the body of Christ in order that we would glorify the Lord Jesus and also that we would edify and build up the church and also that we would reach the world with the gospel. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the apostle Paul presents at least nine of the gifts of the Spirit. This is not the exhaustive list. You can read as we are just finished, actually, Romans chapter 12. There is a list of giftings there. Also Ephesians chapter 4. But here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we began to categorize these gifts, first of all, by considering together the discerning gifts, which would include the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, and the discerning of spirits. First of all, the word of wisdom. The word of wisdom is a gift from the Spirit of God that provides wisdom about a situation or a solution to a problem that you would not normally have that kind of wisdom apart from the Spirit of God enlightening you. The Spirit of God is involved. You remember in the book of Acts, chapter 15, when the church was facing a difficult decision and a potential division between Jews and Gentiles. The Jews were struggling with the Gentiles and how they were going to be part of the church and should they become Jewish or should they remain Gentiles? What was God's heart on this matter? And so they had what was called the Jerusalem Council. And they all gathered together there and they began to pray and they began to dialogue and to discuss these things. And when the conversation was over and after they had gone round about these things, they sent out a letter to all the churches. And in Acts chapter 15, verse 28, listen to what it says. It says, for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit, first of all, and to us. I like the order. It was good to the Holy Spirit and it was good to us to lay upon you no greater burden than the necessary things. In other words, they came to a conclusion. There was a word of wisdom that was given at that gathering during that meeting that seemed good to the Holy Spirit and good to the early church, and it was a blessing to the Gentiles as well. 
But then there's also the word of knowledge. And the word of knowledge is when you have knowledge of a situation or circumstances. Again, that comes from the Lord. It's information and knowledge of things that we couldn't know through natural acquisition or study or deduction or thought, but only through the Holy Spirit revealing it. There's just certain times when you need a word of knowledge and you don't have it in and of yourself. And you pray and you ask and God gives you a word of knowledge. And then there is also in the discerning gifts, the discerning of spirits. The Greek word for this gift of discernment is a word that describes being able to distinguish, to discern, or to judge or appraise a person, a statement, a situation, or an environment. We are living in a day and age when we need discernment to know what is from the Lord, and what is not from the Lord. We need, and I think that one of the best ways to have discernment is to know what God's word says because you're able to discern truth from error by handling the truth. But this gift of the discerning of spirits, I say one example of this would be in the book of Acts chapter five. When Peter was there and the early church was just beginning and you remember that people were offering particular gifts to the church financially to help support the work. So many people had just been converted. 3,000 people were added to the church in one day. I mean, the church went from a few people really in an upper room to over 3,000 in a day. And so they're seeking to minister to all the needs. But during this particular time, you remember that one couple came forward. Their names were Ananias and Sapphira. And like Barnabas, who offered... Uh, financial resources to help the church, Ananias and Sapphira, they stepped forward and it seemed, wow, what a great thing. Sold this particular property, brought the proceeds to the church. Wow, way to go. What an amazing couple. And it, everything seemed great. I'm sure there were a lot of people thinking, man, that's really going to help the early church. Wow, praise the Lord. But Peter discerned something. He discerned something. The spirit of God revealed it to him. And he said, you remember to Ananias, how is it that the Holy Spirit how is it that you have lied to the Holy Spirit, that you have conceived this thing in your heart? How is it that the devil has filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? You haven't lied to men, but you've lied to God. I mean, how does Peter know that? This guy's saying, here you go. Let me write a check to the early church. And Peter says, let me tell you why you're really here. Uh, and he falls down and dies. And then his wife comes in later, doesn't know that her, his, her husband has already passed away. Same things happens to her. She lied as well. She partnered with her husband. Peter had the discerning of spirits. He was able to detect what was really going on behind the scenes, the ulterior motive, in other words. I think of the book of Acts chapter 16, when the apostle Paul was there in the area of Philippi. He had traveled to Macedonia, and there was a young girl who was demon-possessed, and she was a fortune teller, and she brought her owners. She was um, able to tell people their fortunes, and she was making a profit for those who owned her. It was kind of like being a slave to these individuals. And after a while, Paul was greatly annoyed, and he recognized this girl's demon-possessed, and he cast out the demon, discerning of spirits. She was delivered, could no longer tell fortunes. They took Paul and Silas, beat them, and threw them into prison. But nonetheless, he was able to discern 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. Make a note of this passage of scripture. Here's what it says. It says, beloved, John writing to the church, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they're of God. Why? Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Test the spirits. How do you test it? Test it next to the truth. 
See how, see how what they're saying stands up to God's word. And let me tell you this, if when it's being said, a, uh, suddenly there's a, a, a red flag or something that just goes off in your heart, like a, that doesn't really sound right. Just pause right there. Just, just, a lot, just wait on the Lord for a second and see, I don't know why I'm thinking this. Maybe this is just me. Maybe it's just I'm misunderstanding, but something's not right. In this dialogue, in this conversation that I'm having, I wouldn't naturally think something's wrong, but something is wrong. And just wait and test. And I'll tell you something. When the Lord puts a roadblock in front of you like that, don't run through it. Listen, be discerning. And the best way to be able to know and recognize error is to handle the truth. You handle the truth long enough, you, you, when error comes, you, you can discern, no, that's not biblical. No, that's not right. No, that's actually, that contradicts scripture. And I know that. And so the spirit of God has ways of giving us discernment when we need it. And I can tell you over the last 25 years of serving the Lord that there have been so many occasions where the Lord has provided discernment that was needed in a moment when I didn't, I didn't know what I was walking into and he made it apparent. And I'm so grateful for that. So there are these discerning gifts that God gives when we need them. And it's not like I just tap into it. Hold on. I got a word of wisdom coming right. I just, you're just walking in the spirit and it just happens supernaturally, but it is very natural in the way that, that, it, that it's used. And now we move from the discerning gifts this is where we pick up tonight, the dynamic gifts. And we begin the dynamic gifts, first of all, with the gift of faith, then miracles, and then healings. First of all, it says in verse 9, to another faith by the same Spirit. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, in verse 1, we are given a biblical definition of what faith actually is. It tells us, you remember, now faith, is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That's what faith is. The disciples of Jesus recognized very early on the importance of faith within the ministry of Jesus. There are, if you've read through the Gospels, you'll note the occasions when Jesus either commended faith or he challenged someone's faith or he was surprised at their lack of faith. And there were many lessons, even within the teaching of Jesus, that had to do with faith. I think of Matthew chapter 8, when the centurion had a servant who was sick. And by the way, when you read about centurions in the Bible, most of the time they're spoken of in a good light. I mean, they end up being quality individuals. But this particular centurion, although he was a Roman, apparently, he had a servant that he was concerned about, and so he sent word to Jesus. He didn't come personally. He sent a word to Jesus, and this is what it says there in Matthew chapter 8, that he sent to Jesus, and he asked Jesus just to give the word. Just say the word, and I know my servant's going to be healed. You don't need to come to my house because I'm a man under authority. I have people under me who are under my authority. I say the word. They go. They do it, and I, I recognize your authority, and I'm not worthy that you should come into my house, so you just say the word, and he'll be healed. Jesus, when he heard that, Matthew chapter 8, verse 10, this is what it says. Jesus marveled, and he said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. 
Here you have somebody who's outside of the covenant people, but he recognizes the power that Jesus has and he exercises faith by saying, you just say it and I believe that it's gonna be done. Jesus marveled. Do you know there's only two times in the Bible when Jesus marveled? Right here at the faith of a centurion and the other time it says that Jesus marveled was at the unbelief of his hometown. He marvels at this guy's faith and from that moment, the servant was healed. I think of another example when the disciples were in a storm. This time it wasn't the commending of their faith. But Jesus had told his disciples to get into the boat. They were going to go to the other side. And as they got into the boat and they made their way to the other side, you remember that they encountered a storm there in Matthew chapter 8. And while they were there, they, Lord, we're going to perish. We're going to die. And Jesus, you remember, he had been asleep in the boat. He wakes up and he responds to his disciples. And here's what he said. He said, why are you fearful? Oh, you of little faith. And then he arose and he rebuked the winds and the sea and there was great calm. Matthew chapter eight, verse 26. He rebuked, I mean, he's, he's surprised. Listen, you guys have been with me. You see miraculous things. Where's your faith? You ever feel like the Lord says that to you? Where's your faith? Why are you, why are you trusting me for this? I don't know. I'm not sure why. I mean, we just, we struggle with it. And oftentimes when we're struggling in our faith, it's, the, the fact is we're just not trusting in the Lord. We're reasoning from our own logic, our own understanding, rather than depending on the power of the Lord to handle the situation. What about the paralytic in Matthew chapter 9? There in Matthew chapter 9, this time, you remember that they brought to Jesus, there were four friends who brought a man who was paralyzed on his bed. He couldn't get to Jesus himself. And so these four friends, whoever they were, unnamed, we don't know, other than they cared for their friend, they picked him up and they dragged him to the house of Jesus. And when they got, or not, it was the house of Peter, when they couldn't get inside the house, they decided, we're going to go up on top of the roof. And so there they go up on top of the roof, they rip the roof off, and they start down, they just they let their friend down on, on this paralyzed man, on this bed. And this is what it says, such a powerful verse. It says there in Matthew chapter nine, then behold, they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And notice this, when Jesus saw their faith, not even his, the four friends that brought him were willing to do whatever it took just to get their friend into the presence of Jesus. They believed if they could just get him there, he'd be healed. And you remember what happened? Jesus saw the paralytic and he said, son, your sins have forgiven you. That was probably a shock to the men that dropped him down. They really were hoping for a healing, not forgiveness of sins. Um, but Jesus had to deal with first things first. Because listen, you could be healed of whatever sickness you have, but if you die in your sins, you're still going to hell. First things first, sins need to be forgiven. That's the greatest healing that you can have. The spiritual healing that comes through Christ and through his blood. So this man was forgiven and he probably was excited. Maybe he was in that condition because of his sin. And so Jesus said, listen, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees, religious leaders, were reasoning, the Bible says, in their hearts. Who does this man think that he is that he could forgive sins? Only God alone can forgive sins. Jesus, it says, knew what they were thinking in their minds, and he turned to them and he said, which is easier to say? That must have been a shock just to be around Jesus and him knowing your thoughts. Don't think about it. He hears what you, he knows what you're thinking. And he says, listen, what's easier to say? Your sins are forgiven? Or rise up and walk? The answer to that question, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven because how do you know if it's true or not? What's the, what's the physical evidence of somebody's sins being forgiven? Who's paralyzed? It's easier to say your sins are forgiven, but then Jesus said that you might know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. I say to you, take up your bed and walk. And sure enough, he did. A miracle, faith exercised. 
What about Matthew chapter 9? Again, Matthew chapter 9 later on, same chapter, a lot of miraculous things happening. But in Matthew chapter 9, you remember there was a woman who had an issue of blood for 12 years, constant hemorrhaging, would have made her unclean, would have made her, if she was married, her husband able to divorce her. She wouldn't have been able to go into the temple or, or tabernacle or anything to worship God because of this constant hemorrhaging. She was continually unclean. And the Bible tells us that she went to many doctors and she was the worst because of it. She couldn't get better. But for some reason, it had never happened before, but in her mind, she believed that if I can just touch his garment, I'm going to be healed. I mean, what? why would you think that? I don't know. But nonetheless, the crowd, you remember, was thronging Jesus. They were surrounding him, and she was making her way through, and she reached out, and she grabbed the hem of his garment. And you remember in Matthew chapter 9, verse 22, it says, Jesus turned around, and when he saw her, he said, be of good cheer, daughter. Your faith has made you well. And the woman was made well from that hour. Again, the disciples, obviously walking with Jesus, recognized the importance of faith. And so at one point, when Jesus was talking about forgiving other people, do you remember the disciples responded to Jesus in Luke? <clears throat> and they said, Lord, increase our faith. Increase our faith. Lord, help us to trust you. Increase our faith. And you remember Jesus' response in Luke 17, verse 6. This is what he said. He said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. A mulberry, a, a, what was that? A mustard seed? Do you know how tiny a mustard seed is? Really tiny, almost microscopic. I mean, they are so small. Jesus said, if you had that much faith, impossible things could happen. If you would trust me that much. Imagine if he said an avocado seed. I mean, what could happen? With that kind of faith. But the Bible has much to say about the believer and our faith. For example, 2 Corinthians in chapter 5, verse 7, it tells us in the scriptures that we, as believers, we walk by faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. Not only do we walk by faith, but Romans, or pardon me, Galatians chapter 3, verse 11 says. That no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident for the just shall, look at this, live by faith. We walk by faith. We live by faith. And then in Romans 11, verse 20, Paul wrote and he said, well said, because of unbelief they were broken off, but you stand by faith. And do not be haughty, but fear. So we walk by faith. We live by faith. We stand by faith. Furthermore, the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 3, therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Faith is an important part of our relationship to God. But the Bible also points out different kinds of faith. For example, there is saving faith. In Romans 12, 3, it says, For I say through the grace given to me, everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. I believe that Paul, in speaking of this measure of faith, could be a reference to that of saving faith that God has dealt to everyone. 
Listen, Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 10, here's what it says. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made to salvation. There is this saving faith that we exercise. We, how, how does a person receive that kind of faith? Again, I believe that it's found in Romans 10. It says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's how that faith is given. Paul amplifies this teaching of saving faith even more when he writes to the Ephesians. And in writing to the church in Ephesus in chapter two, he says it this way, probably a verse that you well know. For by grace, you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, creating Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in. We're saved by grace. It's by grace through faith that we're saved. So when a person hears the message of the gospel, the gospel, Jesus Christ dying for their sins, Jesus Christ rising again from the dead, us confessing that we're sinners, that we've fallen short of the glory of God and repenting of our sin, that is turning from our sin and turning to Christ for salvation. When that happens, we exercise faith that Jesus died for me, Jesus took the judgment that I deserved, he's my substitute, and believing in him who died for me, the Bible says I'm not gonna perish, but I have everlasting life. That's saving faith. Trusting in God. Prayerfully tonight, you have that. You've trusted in God for salvation because the Bible says there's salvation in any other name except the name of Jesus. No other name can save you except Jesus Christ. So there's saving faith. But there's also faith that trusts the promises of God. Did you know the Bible is full of the promises of God. I would encourage you as a Christian, when you read through the Bible, do yourself a favor. And every time you see a promise, write the letter P next to it or underline it, highlight it. Take the promise for yourself. This is is God's word to us. This is his promise. And he never goes back on his promises. So take hold of them. And it's faith that reads the promises of God and banks upon them. There are so many promises found in God's word. The Bible tells us in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4, that we have been given exceedingly great and precious promises. How, how great and precious are the promises of God? There are promises right now that I'm sure, people in this room tonight, that they are carrying you. Isn't it amazing that a promise from God can carry you through some of the darkest times in your life? How is that even? It's a sentence. It's a word. It's not just any word. It's the word of God. It's living and powerful, and it carries you, and it encourages you, and it, it's like an anchor for your soul. It just, you build your life on it. I think of 2 Corinthians 1 when it says, all the promises of God are in him, yes, and amen, and amen to the glory of God through us. So they're exceedingly great and precious. They are yes and amen. Folks, they're for us. These are God's promises. There are other occasions in scripture where you find believers standing by faith on the promises of God. I think of an Old Testament example in the person of Abraham. And Abraham had received so many promises from God. And amazing promises that God had spoken unto him. 
covenants that were made with him. And you remember in Romans chapter 4, it says this, and not being weak in faith, he didn't consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old. And the deadness of Sarah's womb, meaning she was beyond the age of bearing children. And look at this, verse 20 of Romans 4, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but he was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced. I like that. Fully convinced. You couldn't, you couldn't dissuade him. He was fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform, and therefore it was accounted unto him for righteousness. Now, when you read the story in Genesis, it seems like, well, it doesn't seem like he did waver a little bit, and there were moments. This, by the way, this is this side of the cross. Romans is this side of the cross. But the fact is, he believed what God said, and he wasn't weak in faith. He didn't waver at the promise through unbelief. Listen, we waver at the promises of God because of unbelief. There are moments when God speaks a promise or you take hold of one and you, you cannot see how can that be fulfilled in the natural, from a human perspective. I don't, I don't know how that could even come together. There's not even things that are even remotely, I, I can't see it. And, and why is that? Because I have to walk by faith and not by sight. I'm not always gonna see it. Abraham didn't see Isaac for a long time. And yet, Isaac was born, even after it was humanly impossible, God did it. Just so everyone would know, God did it. (laughs) Abraham couldn't say, well, you know, we found these herbs in Egypt, and we just came up with this essential oil, and Sarah rubbed it on her stomach, and what do you know, we had a baby. No, it's nothing like that. It was a miracle. Man couldn't take the credit. Let me ask you tonight, are you standing upon the promises of God? Have you put your faith in the word of God that he alone is able to perform? Or do you find yourself at this moment wavering at the promises of God? I believe that there are times when we do waver in faith, perhaps not only because of the impossibility of the circumstance, but also the fulfillment of the promise, that it's not in the timing that we had hoped. But with every promise of God given, there seems to be a gap of time between when the promise is given and when the promise is fulfilled. And it's in this interim of time, however long that is, you know what happens in that gap? All of my motives are refined. Why do I really want this anyway? Well, Lord, of course, it's for your glory, not mine. Well, maybe it's for mine, but I'm willing to share it with you, Lord. No, it's just like your motives are impure when you start out. And then as, as you go through and, and, and God takes you through the valleys and takes you to the hills and you think maybe and then maybe not. And, then the, and by the time you get to it, it's like, Lord, you know what? If it never happens, I still have you. Ah, okay. Great. And then he just does it. I, I don't know how he does it or why he waits so long, but to him, he's outside of time. The Bible says the day is as a thousand years of the Lord and a thousand years is one day. To me, it's a thousand years, or at least it feels like that. But what's Paul speaking of here? He's he's talking about, and this is what we want to hone in on, the gift of faith. The gift of faith. We said earlier concerning the gifts of the Spirit, it's not a reservoir that I tap into and, okay, I call up word of wisdom. 
I call up word of knowledge. I call up, it's just you're walking in the spirit and when you need that particular gift, I believe God by his Holy Spirit knows what I need and he provides what I need in that moment. Whatever that gift is, whatever the tool is in the box, he provides it because he knows I'm, I'm in need of it. And I think it's the same way with faith. There's something unique that comes from the Holy Spirit that's given to us at various times when we are in need. Times when we have the absolute surety that God is in control of the situation, though others may look on and worry about you, you're not bothered because for some reason, God has given you a gift of faith to believe him. And everything runs contrary to why you should believe it, but for some reason, you do. It's just a, it's a gift. And there are moments when God does it. Doesn't mean you're never gonna doubt another thing. Doesn't mean you're gonna struggle or not waver at times. We all do. But the fact is that there are moments when God gives you just a, a measure of faith that is, that it's a gift. I observed this in scripture in the life of the apostles. This gift of faith, it's evident throughout their ministry. I think of Paul undoubtedly demonstrating throughout his ministry the, the gift of faith. In fact, there were times when Paul would be working and he would be making tents and there would be people who were sick and Paul would say, here, take my sweatband and just go lay it on him. He'll be fine. Okay, that's never happened. I mean, what, what is that about? The gift of faith. Apparently at that moment, God, yeah, take the sweatband, go, go put it on him, he'll be fine. And people were healed. But later on, you read of him telling Timothy to take a little wine for his infirm stomach. It was a medical practice. Did you run out of sweatbands? I mean, why don't you send one to Tim? I mean, how come? I don't know. In that moment, this was a medicinal procedure. This, that's what they would do. He needed something pure. The water was so impure, he needed something for his stomach. And so he took wine for his, his problems with his stomach. Later on, he speaks of a co-laborer who was sick and at the point of death. Again, sweatbands. I mean, but the guy was dying. Paul said, I left him there sick. Why didn't you heal him? I don't know. This isn't faith that simply allows you to go out wherever you want and do whatever you want, whenever you want. These gifts are property of the Holy Spirit. They belong to the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit distributes those gifts sovereignly as he wills. And at special times, folks, and in certain circumstances, when you really need to trust God, God gives us a gift of faith. Now, there are those, and I would say, be careful of this, who try to work up a faith frenzy. I don't even know if that's a thing, but you know, they just try to hype it up. You just need to, and they just, they work up the crowd and come on. And they really try to work up faith in the sense that to bring people to a higher state of believing. And usually there's a lot of shouting and screaming and pacing and sweating to get people, come on. And it's almost like we're trying to work up faith in faith rather than faith in a faithful God. Now, granted, some people, they just get all worked up and basically the, the, you know, the gift of, you know, this is what you need. And, and the reason why this hasn't happened in your life, sorry, brother, you just haven't had enough faith. Sorry, you need to get more faith. <sighs> you know, it's a bummer. But, you know, just keep praying. And maybe you'll have faith like me at some point in your life and believe God for greater things. You know, sometimes that's how it feels. But when it comes to the gift of faith, 
Not only does God give you that gift of faith to trust him, but what follows and what inevitably happens is you have to take then a step of faith. And I think even in taking the step of faith, there is this assurance for some reason, God's in it. I don't know, how, I don't know what I'm stepping into here, but I just feel like God's in it and I'm gonna step out in it and whatever he wants. I don't, it's, it's just a gift of faith. I think of Peter, he's in the boat. The storm is raging all around him. Jesus is not in the boat. All the disciples think they're gonna die. Jesus is walking on the water in the third watch of the night. He let them struggle for hours while he stood on the shore. I'm like, what was he doing? Maybe just praying for him? I don't know. But then he just decides to walk on water out in the middle of the sea. And they thought he was a ghost. They were frightened. They thought they were going to die. And in the midst of that, Peter decides to say, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come out on the water. I mean, why would you say that? What would, why would you think that? I'm sure the other disciples like, are you, you're out of your mind. Keep taking the water out. You know, but then, then what happened? The Bible tells us Jesus said, it is I. And when Peter heard that it was Jesus, that's when he got out. Some people just want to jump out in presumption. Lord, if it's you, I don't hear anything. Doesn't matter. You know, and they don't, they're not waiting to hear whether it's the Lord or not. God has ways of confirming. He gives me the gift of faith and there's gonna come a point where I'm gonna have to step into this and trust him, but I know that it's him. God, God gives us the gift of faith in those moments when, when we need it. And I've experienced that in different occasions in my life where, where I look back and I think, I, I didn't have the that wasn't me. I would not naturally do that. There's too many risks involved. And I'm not going to take those risks because that would have an impact on me and my family. And, and, but somehow, and it was, I wasn't crazy. It, it was a gift of faith to move across the country with my wife and two children. That, that, was, that wasn't me. That was the Lord, the gift of faith. I had it. Um, coming back gift of faith. I mean, God just gives us supernatural moments when he just empowers us and causes us to trust him. We don't know how it's going to work, but we know he's in it. Probably the most recent experience of the gift of faith would be in our conference we just had last month. Definitely an element of faith involved in that, but God was faithful. He made it clear he was in it. And uh, so we stepped out and he blessed. What does what what is God calling you into? What, is he, what do you need the gift of faith to trust him for? Lord, help me to have faith in you. We sang it tonight. Lord, give me faith to trust what you say, to believe you, to, to believe that you're not gonna go back on your word. You, you never do. You're not like me or like anybody else. You're unique. You're God. You're faithful always. I think there are great enemies to our faith, one of which would be fear. Fear is a, it can paralyze faith. The fear of what could happen, the fear of what might happen, and what people might think. And this, I mean, fear just, it just takes on a life of its own and, and attempts to crush and dismantle any form of faith in God. That, that promise isn't for you. You're crazy. 
God would never do that in your life. Ah, why are you, what are you circling promises in your Bible? That's for, that's for spiritual people, not you. You know, these are lies of the devil. And sometimes we believe it. But faith in a faithful God overcomes fear and adversity and so many other things that the enemy might throw our way. But there's another gift. And this one's unique. And that is, it says in verse 9, to another gifts, plural, of healings by the same spirit. It's interesting to note, and the emphasis is there, that Paul says gifts, plural. The gifts of healings. You know, he doesn't say the gift of healing, singular. Gifts of healings operate in different ways in the lives of different people. The gifts of healing are like the other gifts in that they are distributed sovereignly by the Spirit of God. I do not believe that you can just pull, again, one of these gifts out at any given time. You can't predict it. But I do believe this. God has the ability to heal. God can heal. I believe that with everything within me, and I've seen it by experience. I've seen it. I've seen God heal. I know that God can. I don't necessarily believe personally that people go around, you know, these people that go around, they, they are the healers, or they'll, you come to their class and they can teach you how to heal. I, I don't find that in scripture. Okay, we're, come to our class, come to our seminar, and we're going to teach you how to heal people. Okay? I just don't see that. Or people that show up in town, and it's interesting too, when you have these quote-unquote healers, it's usually, and you can, it doesn't take long to see, there's usually a couple things that are, should be red flags, in, I mean, that immediately you should just take note of. One, how much money are they asking for? Because that's, it seems like if somebody's getting healed or somebody's falling down or somebody's getting swept back with a coat or blow, you know, whatever, whatever, how, whatever they're doing, the next thing that's going to happen is an offering's coming or several of them. You know, it's almost like a, I'm going to do this so that you're going to give to me and, and you know, Hopefully you're discerning and you recognize that. Another thing that I find that is that when it comes to God healing and, and something that is not necessarily genuine is usually the person that's glorified is the person who's doing the healing as opposed to people are looking at Jesus, they're looking at the person. And it's the name of the person rather than the name of Jesus. It's like, yeah, Jesus was, yeah, that was awesome. But did you see so-and-so is coming to town like a circus coming into town? In the Old Testament, we do see the Lord providing healing. There are so many examples of this throughout the scriptures. God demonstrating his power in different ways. The Bible says in Psalm 30, it says, The Lord my God, I cried out to you and you healed me. I think of the example of King Hezekiah. You remember Hezekiah was dying? Second Kings chapter 20, the Lord told him to get his house in order. He was going to die. And you remember that he cried out to God and he asked God to heal him when Isaiah the prophet had visited him. And after he wept and cried, 2 Kings tells us that the Lord went back to tell, Isaiah was called to go back and tell Hezekiah, the leader of my people, thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I've heard your prayer, I've seen your tears, surely I will heal you. And God healed him. 
added 15 years to his life. I think of when the nation of Israel came out of bondage in Egypt, Exodus chapter 15. And you remember they came to the waters of Marah and they were thirsty and they tried to drink the waters of Marah and it says that they were bitter and they couldn't drink them. And of course the people did what they normally did. They complained. And so Moses went to the Lord and asked the Lord, what do you want me to do? And you remember what the Lord told him to do? He said, I want you to take a tree and I want you to throw it into the bitter waters and the bitter waters will be made sweet. And the Bible tells us in Exodus chapter 15 in verse 26, the Lord said, for I am the Lord who heals you. He's a healer. That's who he is. He's able to do that. I think of Isaiah chapter 53 when he prophetically talks about the work of the Messiah and the suffering that he would endure for our sake. It said he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities and the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. God is a healer. He has the ability. He has the power. He's God. It's seen in the Old Testament, but it's also seen in the New Testament. You can read through the gospel narrative. You can read through the book of Acts and you will find that God is able to heal. And not just major diseases like leprosy, although he's able to heal that. He did it in scripture. But even things that you might overlook and think, well, that's not that big of a deal. Example, Peter's mother-in-law lay sick with a fever. Peter could have said, it's cool, Lord. She'll she'll be fine. It's my mother-in-law. She's cool. Just let her stay there. She's good. No. It actually says that Jesus came and he touched her. And he healed her. A fever. Guys, listen, did you know the Lord is concerned as, as concerned about your cold as he is about cancer? He's concerned about all of it. Well, I don't want to ask him to pray, pray over a cold. I mean, that's so, you know, I'll, I'll just take some, you know, whatever. And, and I'm not saying don't take something, don't misunderstand. But, but I'm just saying he's concerned about a cold and he's concerned about cancer. I mean, he's concerned about everything in between. And I don't think it's wrong to take those things immediately to God. In fact, I would encourage you to do that regardless of what it is. But God has the ability to heal. The Bible tells us that some of these healings during the ministry of Jesus were done in order that scripture might be fulfilled. That Jesus was healing people. He was preaching, he was teaching, and he was healing so that scripture might be fulfilled. He took our infirmities, he bore our sickness. It was was a reference to the Old Testament. Jesus was fulfilling prophetic Old Testament scripture through the healings that he did. Furthermore, Healing was a major part of Jesus' ministry, and he pointed to the healings that he did as evidence that he had come down from the Father. You remember in John chapter 10 and verse 36 through 38, Jesus said, do you say of him whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world, you're blaspheming because I said I'm the Son of God? He said, if I do not do the works of my Father, then don't believe me. But he said, if I do, though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and believe that my Father is in me, and I in him. In other words, Jesus is saying, listen, you don't want to take my word for it? Look at, look at what's happening here. Look at the blind eyes open. Look at the deaf hearing. Look at the demon-possessed delivered. Look at the lame walking. Look at the dead being raised. And see the power of the Father on display. He sent me. He pointed to his miracles. But then you go on, and you see the ministry of the disciples. They also, Jesus gave them the command in his commission to go out and to do the work of the ministry, you remember. And in Matthew chapter 10, he said, as you go preach, saying the kingdom of God is at hand, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons, freely you have received, freely give. And they went out and did exactly what Jesus told them to do. 
in the early church. You see miracles taking place. You remember when the apostles were being persecuted for their faith? They prayed. And this is what they prayed. Acts chapter 4, verses 29 to 31. It says, the Lord, they said, Lord, look on their threats. Grant to your servants that with all boldness, this is Acts 4, 29 to 31, that with all boldness they may speak your word. And notice this, by stretching out your hand to heal, that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They said, Lord, give us the ability to speak boldly the word of God and also would you allow us to do signs and wonders so that people would know that we're, we're from you, that people will know? And of course, the miracles were not used to draw attention to the miracles. The miracles were used to draw attention to Jesus and to preach the gospel and for people to get saved. That was the purpose of the miracles. And throughout the book of Acts, you see this taking place. But the healing power of the Lord didn't cease throughout the biblical history that we read, but it goes on even in the church at the present time. And we can be confident that God hasn't changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, that he still has the ability to heal. But this brings up a very important point, and that is this. First of all, does God heal everybody? Obviously, no. God doesn't heal everyone. People say, well, why do people get sick? The reason why people get sick is because back in the Garden of Eden, when man fell, sin entered the world and death was passed to all men. That's where it started. Sickness is ultimately a result of sin. It's, it's death passed on to every man. One day, we're going to get sick with something. And it's going to be the last sickness that takes us home unless the Lord decides to take us some other way. But I mean, if it's sickness, there's going to be one day we're going to get sick with something, and that's going to be the thing, the last time we ever get sick, and the next time we'll be in heaven, completely healed and whole, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. But sometimes we do get sick. And it's not because you lack faith that you get sick. Again, if you look at the scriptural record, you'll find that there were moments when Jesus had to correct the disciples. They thought, you remember one moment, they thought the man who was paralyzed in John chapter 5, they, they asked him, hey, hey listen, wh why is this man sick? You remember, remember when, when the man was, or actually, pardon me, it was the blind man, the blind man. They asked, who sinned, him or his parents, that he was born blind? They thought somebody sinned, and that's why he's blind. And Jesus said, no, no, no. Th this happened so that the glory of God might be revealed. The power of God could be revealed. And remember that he healed the blind man there in John chapter 9. Jesus said, neither this man nor his parents sin, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. People get sick because sin has entered the world. But you know that people also can get sick because of sin? If you want to live a promiscuous life, you can get sick, really sick, and die by catching some disease. I mean, there are ways to get sick and die by engaging in sin. Sin brings death, ultimately. Does God heal everyone? The answer to that question is no. Why not? I don't know. I'm not God. But I trust the Lord. God is sovereign. He knows what he's doing. 
And I also know that if God chooses not to heal, it isn't because of a lack of faith on the part of the person asking or praying, but God has a different plan. Again, Paul the Apostle was a man who lived by faith. He trusted in God. No one would have ever questioned his faith, but Paul himself was sick, and he prayed three times that God would remove the thorn in the flesh, and God said, no, my grace is sufficient for you, and in your weakness, you're going to experience strength. Paul prayed. Was it that he just didn't have enough faith? Three times wasn't enough? Should he have prayed four times? No, God gave him the answer and said, this sickness is going to keep you humble. It's going to keep you usable. God had a purpose in the sickness of the apostle Paul. And ultimately, he remained usable because of it. And yet he was able to be used by the Lord to heal other people. Sometimes God heals. Other times he doesn't. I think of Paul's co-laborers, guys who worked right alongside with Paul who got sick. And this is Paul who healed people on a regular basis. Philippians chapter 2 is an example. It says he was talking about Epaphroditus. And it says, since he was longing for you all and he was distressed because you heard that he was sick and he was sick almost unto death, but God had mercy on him and not on him also, but or not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I mean, Paul, why don't you just heal him on the spot? Because that wasn't God's will at that moment. I think in 2 Timothy chapter 2, or 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 20, when Paul talked about his co-laborer Erastus, who stayed in Corinth, and Trophimus, I left in Miletus sick. Why did you leave him sick in Miletus? Why not heal him and bring him with you? Apparently, God had a reason for Trophimus to remain sick in Miletus. I don't know why. Folks, I'm pointing all of this out to say It takes just as much faith to trust God in the midst of being sick as it does to trust God to be healed. There are people in this body of believers right now who are suffering maladies, facing cancer, life-threatening. We had uh, someone die this week as a result of cancer from our church body. And there are a lot of people who are sick, and they are godly people, and they love the Lord. And if it was up to them... They'd be happy to be here and, and be in fellowship and sitting here with you. But for example, the one lady, she's in a much better place tonight. And by that, I mean she's in the presence of the Lord. For to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I really wanted my dad to get healed. I really did. And I prayed daily. Prayed over him. Every day. Lord, heal him. God, please. Too young. To, to go to heaven. And I, I could, we need him around here. And it's such a great ministry. Such a faithful pastor and friend, mentor, grandfather, husband, father. It wasn't God's will. God did heal him. Oh, he's healed today. More alive than he's ever been. But it's not up to me. It's up to God. And do I stop trusting God because he doesn't answer my prayers the way I expect him to or want him to? No, I trust that he has a better purpose that I don't always understand. And if he chooses to heal somebody here and now, great. If he chooses to heal them then and there, that's his business. I trust you, God. You've done done it all. You've made a way. So interesting, isn't it, folks, when you think about this? Jesus said, and we were talking about this in our staff meeting the other day. Jesus said, you will never die. You'll never die. Oh, 
from our perspective, a person dies. From earth's perspective, a person dies. From heaven's perspective, from Jesus' perspective, you will never die. You're going to live somewhere for eternity. There's only one of two places. And trust me, you want to be in heaven with the Lord. There have been people who have come forward at this church and asked for prayer and we prayed for them. They got healed. There have been other people who have been brought forward, who have come before this platform. We have anointed them with oil. Just like the Bible says in the book of James, if any sick among you, let the elders of the church anoint them with oil and pray over them and the prayer of faith will save the sick. I mean, pray for them. The Lord tells us to do that. So obediently, if you're sick and you need to be prayed for, you'll come forward. We have these flasks of oil right here. We take a little bit of oil on our finger. We'll place it on your forehead. We'll lay hands on you in obedience to the word of God. And by faith, we'll ask God to heal. But even in asking God to do something, I'm submitted to the will of God. Lord, let your will be done. I'm asking, you said ask, so I'm asking for, for you to heal this person. And I'm gonna pray that you, that you do. And I've seen God do it. But I've prayed that same prayer or something similar to someone who had something going on and God didn't heal them here. They passed away. They went home to be with the Lord. And now they're ultimately healed. Healing. The Spirit of God distributes that as he, as he sees fit, as he wills. It's not up to me. It's up to me to ask. It's up to God to provide. The leper said to Jesus, if you are willing, you can make me clean. If that's your will. Jesus said, I am he touched him and said, I am, be cleansed. And there's other times when God decides not to do that. He has another, it's his purpose. I, I don't understand it, but I accept it. And I disregard and I do not agree. And I think the Bible doesn't, doesn't give any room to say, well, it's because, sorry, bro, it's, you, it's on you. you. You lack faith. You just don't trust God. How terrible is that? And I've been around people who are misinformed, theologically unsound, who have said those kinds of things to people who were hurting, who just lost someone. It's the worst thing you could ever say. You don't even know what you're talking about. You have no idea. Some of these questions that we don't understand. Reasons why God does what he does. We just have to trust him. I never exchange what I don't understand for what I do. I know you're good. I know you're faithful. I know you can heal. And I don't doubt it. And if you choose not to heal, I'm not going to stop believing in you. Or following you. Or trusting you. In my own life. I have personally been healed. I was very sick. And I've shared it before, but maybe you didn't hear the story, and I'll be brief. But I was very sick in the country of India. I was ministering to a few hundred pastors. And the day before I was to leave, I mean, I, I couldn't move in bed. And there was nothing that I wanted to do more than just get home. But I was so sick. I mean, I felt like I was going to vomit in my stomach. I mean, I couldn't move. It's that kind of sickness where like you have the flu and you're feverish and you're so sick, like you can't really get up and walk around kind of sick. Like, and the thought of getting on a plane and traveling 20 hours home was unthinkable, but I'm like, I got to do what I got to do. I just got to get, I got to do this. I got to go home. I don't want to die in India, you know? <laughs> and so there came a point when I just told my host, I said, hey, man, I'm leaving now. Like, they were, no, no, we're going to, you know, he was trying to hold off. I was like, no, 
I'm, I need to get to the airport. Or your plane doesn't leave for, it didn't matter. Take me to the airport now. I'm a, I'd rather sit in the airport. I'm closer to home in the airport than I am in this room that is painted pink. And it's, I see the ceiling fan going around. I'm thinking, I got to get out of here. And I smell curry. I just have to leave. Like right now. And I did. And he, but before I left, he said, oh, I want to have somebody pray for you. And I'm like, I don't think you understand. Like, I'm leaving. I don't need prayer. I need a taxi. Hello, you know? And this is after I just got done teaching pastors for three days. I don't need prayer. So not spiritual at that moment. So carnal. I don't deserve healing at all. And I didn't, I didn't think God was going to heal me at all. So sure enough, he brings a guy over and says, oh, this guy's going to pray for you. I'm like, ah, oh, dude, let's go, let's go, pray, let's go, come on, pray. I was like, get it over with, man. They call him, they, he had a name for him. He, this guy's praying whatever. I said, I don't really care, you know, my mind, thing. I don't care what his name is, you know. He prays for people. Yeah, don't we all? We're all pastors here. So anyways, I'm, I'm prolonging the story. He comes over, and he doesn't speak English, prays in his own language, takes his hands, and puts them on my stomach. I'm like, dude. Oh, there's only a few people that have access to this. And he wasn't one of them <laughs> until that day. Uh, he puts his hand on my stomach and, stomach on, and, and one on my back. And like, he's kind of got a grip on it. I'm like, dude, you, you know, and so then he starts praying in his own language. I don't even know what he's saying. So I'm not saying amen to it. I don't know what he's saying. I mean, I did catch Jesus in there and he's prayed for me. I, I'm telling you, I was not in agreement. I was not blessed or thinking, yeah, awesome. This is great. I wasn't thinking that. And as soon as he was done praying for me, instantly healed. Instantly. I mean, it's a miracle. It was a miracle. <laughs> I was so undeserving. <laughs> like, I did not deserve it. Man, you can touch my stomach anytime you want. Just come here. Come here. Come here. Come on. Bring it in. You know, I just, I never, I, I don't know. And other times I've been sick as a dog and somebody prayed for me and I stayed sick. I'm like, man, we need to ship that guy out here from India. But you know what? God just does what he does. And if he heals, he's good. And if he doesn't heal, he's still good. The Lord gives. The Lord takes away. <laughs> Blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen? He's good. So let's believe that God can heal. And let's pray for it. Let's be a people who pray for healing. And believe that God does it and leave the results with him. But let's never think that he, that he couldn't do it. You have not because you ask not. Father, tonight we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the gift of faith. Lord, those moments when supernaturally we need the ability to trust you for things that we wouldn't normally trust you for or, or can't see. Lord, we, we're not talking about presumption. We're talking about the gift of faith. And Lord, I just pray, if there are those tonight who are in certain circumstances where they, they need 
that supernatural gifting of faith that you said in your word, you prov- I pray you provide it. Lord, we also thank you for the gift of healing. God, that you are able, and I pray if there are any sick among us tonight. Lord, whether it be a tumor or it be something else, whatever it might be, Lord, that you would extend your healing hand and power and, and, and heal, Lord, those who need a healing tonight. Not for our glory, but that we might be able to say to the world, it's your glory. Look what God did. God is still able to astound doctors in the medical field because he's God. And we trust you, Lord, with the outcome of our prayers. And for miracles, Lord. Lord, salvation is a miracle, but you're, not, you're a God who still works miracles. And we believe that, Lord. We want to stand on that. We want to walk in that. We don't believe that 1 Corinthians 12 is done because it's your word. So help us to trust you and to believe you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand with us tonight? Perhaps you do need prayer tonight and suddenly you feel inspired to be prayed for. That would be those up front that would love to pray for you for whatever your need is this evening. I encourage you to take advantage of that. Also, I'd like to ask tonight before you leave if, if there are some of you who wouldn't mind staying after for a few minutes. Tomorrow and Friday, we have the women's dinner that's going to be taking place here. And many of you men are serving. And uh, also many of you ladies will be in attendance two nights back to back here in the sanctuary. And so when we end, um, we'd ask that you would take the chairs around you and stack them seven high. Don't drag them. You don't need to move them. Just stack them. And we'll take care of moving them. We know exactly where they're to go. But if you could just stack them up, that'd be a huge help. And we have guys that will move those around. And again, we're setting up for the women's dinner. There's guys that will be helping to set up in the fellowship hall as well. And some of you, you know who you are. But if you could do that afterwards, if you don't mind, many hands make light work. So that'd be great if you would do that. May the Lord bless you. And if we don't see you Thursday or Friday, hey, listen, remember Saturday, there's a huge event at the mission. So there's no Saturday night service. It will resume the following Saturday, but this Saturday, there isn't a service here. However, there will be the Sunday services, 745, 930, 1130, right here as we pick up in Romans chapter 13, a very interesting chapter. You might want to read ahead, but we look forward to seeing you this week. God bless you.